Welcome to Market Outlook, a special edition of the Wealth Experience Podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. In this episode, we'll hear from a panel of BMO experts as they provide an update on the markets and what investors can expect for the year ahead. The panel will feature Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, Stéphane Rochon, Vice President and Managing Director and Head of Portfolio Advisory Team at BMO Nesbitt Burns, Leslie Marks, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Private Banking, and Michael Gregory, Managing Director, Deputy Chief Economist and Head, U.S. Economics at BMO Capital Markets. Hello, this is Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets. We're blessed and honored to be the moderator of this 2019 Market Outlook, the year ahead. I'm joined by three colleagues, thought leadership at BMO Financial Group, and we will get to them in a moment. But first, we thought we would set the table in terms of providing some perspective with respect to 2018 as we look ahead to 2019. We've often said in terms of our 30 years on Wall Street that the true test of a person is how they handle adversity, not success. Anyone can have success, but it's how you endure times of need and trouble. And clearly, equities around the world had their share of adversity in 2018. That included the United States seeing its first loss since 2008 and Canada also losing in terms of equities. Now, what's interesting with respect to what happened in 2018, it was only the sixth time over the last 30 years that the S&P 500, which is the traditional index that investors look at with respect to institutional money, lost money. And in Canada, it was the eighth largest loss that we've seen since 1956. Predominantly, Canada over the last 10 years has actually posted a positive return of 5%, while the S&P 500 in in America has posted an average return of 11%. What does all this mean? Well, it means that people lost money in 2018. It's very unfortunate that equity prices, we believe, were skewed more by rumor, rhetoric, innuendo, fear, and emotion than fundamentals, especially considering the more than 20% earnings growth that we saw in the United States. And oh, by the way, positive earnings projections in Canada as well. Canadian valuations dropped by a decade-level low that we've seen, that we have not seen since the crisis. Again, what does this mean for 2019? It means that we believe both markets are poised to put forward positive performance. It means that fundamentals can, will, and should reign supreme. With respect to the United States, our target for the S&P 500 is 3,000, with a favoring of areas in terms of sectors, communication services, financials, healthcare, industrials, and technology. Those brand name, stable, high-quality companies that are some of the best companies in the world. With respect to Canada, we favor communication services, energy, and financials. Again, focusing on those high-quality, brand-name, stable companies, some of which you can, will, and should 
hear from our panel experts today. As we move forward, we'd love to start off with our Deputy Chief Economist, Michael Gregory. He was also head of U.S. Economics to kind of set the table with respect to what uh, we should look forward to in terms of both the Canadian and U.S. economy. So, Michael, what should we know in 2019 for both Canada and the United States in terms of the economic backdrop? Thanks, Brian. Well, the bottom line is that uh, growth in both economies are, is going to slow this year compared to last year. But importantly, both the U.S. and Canadian economies remain fundamentally sound. Now, in Canada, we look for growth of 1.8% on average for this year. That's down from 2.1% from last year. Five factors kind of uh, fueling that decline. First of those is the oil patch. We have lower oil prices and the mandatory production cuts in Alberta, both combined to slow production in the oil sector, but also weighing on business investment, despite the fact that accelerated depreciation allowances are providing some support elsewhere in the economy. We'll get slower sales of automobiles, which of course will weigh on production. And on top of that, we also have GM's uh, uh, closure of the Oshawa plant, which will weigh on growth. We have less accommodative financial conditions. In other words, the Bank of Canada raising rates still a couple of times, which will weigh on consumer spending a bit, given record high levels of debt. And we're also probably setting up for another down year for housing. Not as bad as 2018, but definitely another negative. Importantly, we do think home prices will stabilize on average across the country uh, this year. A fourth factor leading to slower growth are more binding capacity constraints. Uh, let's face it, the unemployment rate is 5.6%, the lowest in more than 40 years, and simply we can't grow that fast because we simply don't have the workers. And finally, slower growth in the U.S. and the global economy. I'll come back to the U.S. in a second. The important thing to keep in mind is 1.8% growth is in line with the longer-term potential for the Canadian economy, which means the unemployment rate will stay around 5.6% this year. Inflation, core inflation, will stay around 2%, and uh, that, that should give the Bank of Canada no urgency about raising rates those couple of times this year. We think 10-year yields will rise a little bit but still remain under 2.5%. And the Canadian dollar will remain range-bound in the 74 to 75 cent range. Arguably, it's a little bit higher than that recently, but we think concerns about passage of the USMCA will weigh on the currency a little bit before improving oil prices this year begins to provide a bit of a lift. Now, for the U.S., we think growth this year will be 2.4%. That's down from 29 2.9 was a terrific year, and we do think the reason why it was a terrific year will be what are the reasons why growth will be slower this year. In part, fiscal stimulus will not uh, will begin to fade. We began 2018 with tax cuts and spending, in, uh, uh, spending increases. We won't have that for this year. Also, like in Canada, we've got capacity constraints. We have an unemployment rate, also the lowest level in more than 40 years. And we also have less accommodative financial conditions. We think the Fed will still raise rates a couple of times this year. But there are a couple of specific factors to the U.S. Number one, we have the lingering effect of tariffs, the trade war with China. Some of those tariffs came in late in uh, last year and therefore are still working their way through the economy now. And finally, political uncertainty with a divided Congress and a combative administration. Now, the good news for the U.S., 2.4 is still well above potential, which is still running slightly under 2%, which means the unemployment rate is going to fall further to 3.5%. Inflation will creep up a little bit to 2.2%. Uh, and right away, you can tell that the Fed is probably going to have a little bit more inclination to raise rates more than the Bank of Canada because they have even tighter labor markets and even higher inflation. The Fed, inflation, plus the Fed continuing to shrink its balance sheet will put a little bit more upward pressure on Treasury yields. We think the 10-year, 10 
Niner will be above 3% to end this year. Now, looking at the risk going forward in Canada, it's all about oil. It's all about how housing fares due to higher interest rates. And of course, the global trade outlook. The same thing, the global trade outlook is going to weigh on the U.S. Keep in mind, in addition to the U.S.-China trade war and whether or not that escalates, we also have negotiations beginning this year with both Japan and the EU with respect to a trade deal. But there's also that political uncertainty, which is a huge source of, 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 of a cloud hanging over the outlook at this stage. And finally, the Fed could do what the Fed has done practically every cycle since the Second World War. They may just tighten just a little bit too much and cause even slower growth than what we're projecting. So I'll leave it that for now. Thanks, Michael. Let's go on to asset allocation. Joining us now is Leslie Marks, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Private Bank here in Canada. And Leslie, how was your asset allocation mix changed uh, from 2018 into 2019? And how does the next 10 years look for investors compared to the last 10 years? Thank you, Brian. I'll start with the, the shorter term, the 2018 to 2019 changes that we've uh, implemented. And I think it would be important to set the stage uh, with a bit of a backdrop and, and the factors that we look at when we are informing our asset allocation decision making. So the four key factors that we focus on are the economy, uh, of course, uh, policy, valuation, and the ever important behavior or sentiment that drives uh, shorter term trading in in the markets. So first looking at the economy, I think we have a great backdrop uh, painted by Michael's story uh, today. And uh, looking at the economy, we see that it's amazing how quickly things changed in the fourth quarter of 2018 from all of these inflation fears really moving uh, away from inflation and towards headlines that were focused on fears about recession literally over a two-month period. So despite some signs of slowing global growth and some major economies like China and the European region experiencing weakness, overall the outlook for global growth is still quite healthy with the U.S. leading the way. The Canadian story is driven by two factors. Uh, as Michael mentioned, oil prices. We've seen recent relief with a rally in commodity prices. But uh, looking at the comparative price today versus the average in 2018, we're still substantially lower. So the outlook for oil is still challenged for 2019 and for what that means for earnings for the TSX. And secondly, the Canadian story is driven, of course, by the Bank of Canada. We also have received recent relief with the bank's more dovish commentary, but the bank needs to look and see what the impact is of the rate increases of 2018 and may move to the sidelines uh, over the short term. Secondly, on policy. Uh, as, as I mentioned with the Bank of Canada, and we're also seeing it with the Fed, uh, central banks are likely to be more dovish in 2019 as they generally wait out the impact of tighter monetary policy. And so that will be interesting to watch, but that's incrementally positive for markets in general. And we'll also watch for fiscal spending and initiatives across the board, which will help stimulate markets, particularly where we see challenges in markets like China, for example, where growth has been a challenge more recently. Thirdly, valuation. Well, valuation, as we all know, has improved in every major geography, um, probably Chinese equities being the poster child where PEs have improved by over uh, 30% uh, in the past year. But all major markets are actually trading at PE multiples below long-term averages, so making this also an attractive valuation point for entry into equities. 
And then finally, sentiment. The real issue with sentiment is that market behavior or trading has really disconnected from the fundamentals of the market. Of course, sentiment drives markets in the short term, but fundamentals are really what determines the long-term impact for markets. And here's how sentiment could swing wildly positive. Central banks take their foot off the brake. We've already seen this in play in both Canada and the U.S. An announcement of a U.S.-China trade agreement, any version of a Brexit agreement, and further Chinese stimulus help to maintain Chinese growth. All of these factors could swing sentiment into a very positive factor that we haven't yet seen in the last few months. So in summary, in our positioning, we continue to be overweight equities because the fundamentals are still positive growing economies, job creation, and generally low inflation. We are favoring U.S. equities because they show the best relative economic growth and favorable policy with lower valuation now than we've seen uh, 12 months ago, and of course this expectation of a turn in sentiment. In general, we have lowered our risk by lowering that equity overweight and reducing exposure to higher risk asset classes such as high yield and emerging markets. So that's the short-term asset allocation picture. Now to answer your question about how the next 10 years is going to look versus the previous 10 years. The past 10 years were set up so beautifully due to the extreme conditions created by the global financial crisis. Low valuations due to the deep sell-off in 2008, 2009, and of course the high levels of monetary stimulus that were used to bail out the global economies out of a deep recession that created the environment of negative real interest rates. So this set the stage for a decade of low volatility with high return potential in the riskiest asset classes like equities. The result? This gave investors a false sense of security around the true risk of some of these asset classes. The next 10 years will be characterized by the following backdrop. Of course, central banks will be shrinking their balance sheets, which will cause rates to gradually gravitate to higher levels over time, and moderating growth in the world's largest economies. This has the potential to create the mirror image of the last 10 years, an environment with lower returns with higher volatility, and the result, lower risk-adjusted returns for investors. To counter the shift as asset allocators, we need to expand the toolbox beyond just stocks and bonds and look for greater diversification, which will lower volatility and in turn improve those risk-adjusted returns. Examples include ensuring global diversification in portfolios by region and currency, especially for Canadian investors where our stock market is really not fully diversified. Secondly, looking at liquid alternative strategies, such as long-short strategies or absolute return bonds. And thirdly, investigating private market strategies, those that have lower volatility because they are not marked to market on a daily basis. In summary, because uncertainty always exists in, in predicting the future, we have to remember the golden rule of investing is to appropriately match the characteristics of your investments with your investment objectives so that you don't get caught up in the short-term volatility of the day-to-day -day that comes with the territory of investing. Thanks, Leslie. So far, we've heard very big picture type of explanations with respect to 2018 and 2019. Now let's talk implementation, themes, stocks, and there's no one better here at BMO uh, than Stefan Rashan, head of the portfolio advisory team 
managing director and VP over there, and he's going to talk about Canada. Why would it be a destination, Steph? And what are your key themes in terms of stocks in Canada and stocks for the U.S.? Thanks, Brian. Um, first up, let me lead with the uh, with the conclusion. We're actually positive on the Canadian market heading into 2019. And this is after seven years of chronic underperformance relative to the U.S. Um, I have to say from the outset that this view is premised on the conclusion from some of our models, which still show a low probability of recession in the next year. And this is true both for the U.S. and for Canada. And of course, you cannot look at the Canadian stock market in isolation. Um, Our biggest trading partner is the U.S. and uh, economic fundamentals in the U.S. always matter for our equity markets. China is also very, very important. So what might make Canadian stocks a destination, particularly for international investors in our view, is in a nutshell, China. Uh, Stabilization in the Chinese economy, in economic momentum in China, will be extremely important in our view. And by our count, uh, there have been over 50 easing moves uh, implemented by the Chinese authorities in the last in the last year, and most recently, a fairly drastic reduction in reserve requirements for banks, which should stimulate lending. The reason why this is so important for the Canadian stock market is because it has uh, an outsized influence on commodity prices. And let's face it, the Canadian market is a commodity-centric market. Having just seeing a slight stabilization in economic momentum, and by this I mean the trajectory of Chinese economic growth, should have positive implications for the price of copper, for example. Uh, And we're already starting to see a rebound in oil prices, as my colleagues have alluded to. The other, the other important factor, because oil prices are, are obviously very, very important for uh, the Canadian market, given the composition of the TSX and the large weight for energy uh, companies in, in the TSX, but also because of the derivative impact. Um, energy prices do matter for the financial sector as well. Uh, by virtue of bank lending, for example, and and all kinds of derivative activities, particularly in Alberta and and Saskatchewan. So one thing that uh, that caught our attention uh, is the rapid reduction in the Western Canadian Select discount. Uh, Just a few months ago, we were talking about a $50 a barrel discount, which in essence means that our oil went no bid because of transportation constraints. Now, as we speak, we're down to about a $9 discount. That is hugely helpful for, for the Canadian market. So I think, I think this um, resurgence that we're just starting to see could have some legs and could continue over the next, uh, over the next few months. So I, I do think, or perhaps even for the rest, uh, for the rest of the year, we're, we're certainly hoping that's, uh, that's the case. Um, but um, as Leslie mentioned, valuations are starting to look very, very attractive. So if I look at a fair value estimate for, for the TSX, and this is not a precise uh, science, uh, but we can, using conservative assumptions, we can get to 17500 to 18000 on the TSX, which would represent a better than 20% upside potential. 
looking at uh, some of our team members' work as well. We have a technical expert on staff, Russ Vish, uh, who agrees that 2019, the setup, is looking very constructive for Canadian stocks. I will also add that one more of our model, we have a risk appetite model that we developed uh, on our team, which looks at the relative performance of risky assets, so think stocks, a number of different indices in North America, relative to safer assets. Here, think government bonds, provincial bonds, municipal bonds. Um, and by our calculations, we uh, the, the, the amount of loathing for stocks reached at the end of December hadn't been this great since the European debt crisis of 2011. Uh, so uh, this is this is what we call the panic zone, and history has shown us, and we have decades of data supporting this. History has shown us that when we reach these oversold extremes, the market, being mean reverting, um, typically moves in the other direction. In other words, uh, we have a setup right now where, just from a sentiment perspective, from an oversold perspective, uh, we could get a fairly powerful rally, which we're already starting to see. Um, but, um, you know, combining this with the valuation discount that we're seeing in the stock market relative to history, uh, I, I think that's actually quite a, a powerful combination for the Canadian market. So we're, uh, we're quite optimistic, Brian, on the Canadian market. Now, as to uh, your second question, what are some of the themes that we're exploring right now? Probably... And this is, this is based on the fact that we are undoubtedly later on in the cycle. We don't see a recession. We see a very low probability of recession, as I said previously. Um, but given the fact that we are later on in the cycle, what we are emphasizing are oligopolies. In a word, we love oligopolies. Companies with very high barriers to entry, uh, where it, it's very, very hard to compete against them. Uh, pipelines are a good example. So for investors who don't want to take too much risk in their portfolios, buying um, energy producers per se, which which are always volatile, I think uh, companies like Enbridge, TransCanada Pipeline, Pembina, those types of pipeline companies offer uh, a nice hedge in that they have less commodity exposure uh, and they are very, very hard to replicate. So revenue visibility uh, is something that we look for. Uh, high barriers to entry, as I said, and the other and the other factor, and this is true for Canadian and U.S. stocks. Although there are more U.S. examples of such companies, we like companies that have what we call self-help stories. So companies that aren't entirely reliant on macroeconomic drivers, companies that have cost-cutting opportunities. Um, those uh, types of companies look good to us. A good example would be a company like Nutrien, which uh, BMO Capital Markets upgraded just uh, a couple of days ago, um, where you have cost-cutting opportunities. And even if the economy were to slow down a little bit faster than we expect, uh, they would still be in a position to have reasonable earnings growth. So uh, in a nutshell, we are very positive on the potential returns for the Canadian stock market. Uh, we feel that what we saw in December was liquidation and panic uh, in a nutshell. And that sets up uh, investors for a far better 2019, but they will have to be selective. We love oligopolies and we love these self-help stories. Thanks, Steph. Now we've heard from each one of our experts their official view with respect to their expertise 
But why don't we ask each one of them what could be a surprise that no one is thinking about in terms of your area of expertise, for instance, could be a negative surprise, could be a positive surprise. So Michael, in the world of economics, could be Canadian economics or U.S. economics, what do you see as a surprise that maybe no one's thinking about? Well, I think it's it's kind of lost a little bit of attention is the fact that in both Canada and the United States, we've seen uh, business capital spending pick up uh, towards the end of the cycle. This is a normal phenomenon you see where businesses reach uh, capacity constraints and and they they continue to see reasonably healthy sales and therefore they have to expand. They hire more, which they have been doing, and they also invest more. And we could get a little bit more uh, non-inflationary growth coming. uh, And and of course, that will just delay further any rate hikes by the uh, central banks on both sides of the border which, of course, is positive for, for, for financial markets. Uh, on the negative surprise, uh, I think where we could see that really is, is if uh, uh, the economy generally, but consumer spending, housing, business investment specifically, react a, a, a little too sensitively to uh, higher interest rates. And we get to see that sort of pull back. Uh, and, and sort of, and that is exacerbates with some of the confidence issues uh, that, that continue to lingering out there. So, so I do think uh, w- way we sort of portray our forecast is we see it sort of uh, balancing off these two risks going forward. Now, Leslie, could it be a, a asset class? Could it be a region? How do you take a look at a surprise on either direction? Yeah, so I think I think a positive surprise would be almost uh, when I when I painted the picture about sentiment and all of those things happening that could be positive and all those things happening together. So I go back to uh, positive news from the central banks, U.S.-China trade agreement, Brexit, Chinese stimulus, all of those things together that could set us up for an extremely strong market. And I think that we're all cautious about uh, markets and saying markets will be positive but it could end up being a really strong year. We all went into 2018 thinking 2018 would be a really strong year due to the fiscal stimulus in in the U.S., and it was a strong year until the last quarter of the year, and that that really changed sentiment to be negative and people to be really cautious. So I think the real positive surprise is that we get really large upside in the the year. Steph, how about you? Well, I'd, I'd say it has to do with the cycle. It has to do with the length of the cycle because um, as um, as you, you have all mentioned, sentiment got very, very negative in the last quarter of, um, of last year. And I started hearing a lot of talk about recession, an impending recession. And, and the market certainly seemed to be acting as if we were looking at a recession in 2019. And, and as I've said before, we simply don't believe it. Our, our numbers, our models do not uh, show us a high probability of, of such an event. And so from our perspective, the real surprise could be that the um, this economic cycle lasts longer than what people expect. Because uh, it is true that looking back at the financial crisis 2008, you know, we're 10 years into this recovery, which by historical standards is a long time. However, uh, we need some perspective, a word you like to use uh, quite, quite correctly. Uh, perspective is important here because um, historically coming out of such a deep recession, uh, the economy tended to have a so-called V-shaped recovery. That hasn't been the case in this cycle. We've had more of a slow burn. Uh, and so as a consequence of this, inflation really isn't the sinister 
um, the sinister enemy that it's been historically, we have, you know, fairly benign inflation uh, and it's inflation historically which has killed these economic cycles. I think that provides some air cover for the central bankers to hold off on raising interest rates too quickly. And so I think that it is entirely possible that we're going to get a few more years, not of economic acceleration, but certainly without a recession. And given where equities are priced and the low level of expectations, uh, I think that uh, that could actually be a positive surprise for investors. Well, thank you, Stefan, for all of your perspective on ideas, themes, uh, and implementation strategies uh, for 2019. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, for joining us in terms of your process and your discipline uh, with respect to not only near-term asset allocation, which is always important, but longer term as well. And of course, thank you, Michael, uh, for your expertise with respect to both the U.S. uh, economy and Canadian economy for 2019. Thank all of you for listening to our 2019 Market Outlook the year ahead through this special Wealth Experience podcast. Thank you to our panelists for joining us on The Wealth Experience. Today we heard some perspective and direction on what you can anticipate in the markets. We encourage you to explore further questions with your BMO Wealth Management Relationship Manager. You can find additional resources for this episode at www.bmo.com slash thewealthexperience, as well as links to subscribe on our Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iTunes. Market Outlook has been brought to you by BMO Wealth Management. Until next time, enjoy your wealth experience.